Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Justin Richmond, host of the Broken Record Podcast. Join me, music industry icon Rick Rubin, and authors Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Hedlum as we chat with legendary artists about their life and craft. This month, we're celebrating the Red Hot Chili Peppers' new album with John Fushante, Anthony Kiedis, Flea, and Chad Smith, all in conversation with producer Rick Rubin. They share stories and songs from the new album and also never-before-heard insights about their decades-long dynamic and chemistry. Listen wherever you get podcasts. The five hundred, the five hundred. JM been walking us down through that twenty twelve edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. King of Peace for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end That's why we're gonna be burning The song is Burning and a Lootin' by the Whalers from their 1973 record, Burning. It's also number 319 out of 500 on the 500. Sup? Sup, y'all? Sup? Did you subscribe to the YouTube, bruh? Have you subscribed to the Patreon? Because if you subscribe to the Patreon, we're going to ask your questions to our guests. Uh, so do it. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Shimmy Shimmy Ya will be at the Comedy Store on May... 23rd I think fuck I gotta check that out or it's May 16th but yeah come out to that I'll be in Minnesota uh, May 19th through the 22nd at the House of Comedy I will be doing oh shit dude uh, June 27th if you're in DC I want to see you all there I'm doing a goddamn comedy jam at the 930 club for the DC Improv's 40th or 30th birthday I'm also headlining the DC Improv on the 24th and the 25th. This is a dream weekend for me. I want to see everybody out. If you're in the DMV, if you're in the surrounding area and you want to come to a great show, this is one of the biggest shows I've ever going to play in my whole life because the 930 Club was a club that I grew up listening to so many bands play there. I've seen everybody there. I want to see you guys there. June 27th, but you can also see me at the DC Improv June 24th and the 25th. 
and then Montreal and Cancun, a bunch of stuff. All right, we got that out of the way. So, Bob Marley. I bet everybody listening owns Legend. I don't doubt it. It's one of the most popular CDs of all time. And and I said, Emily, you know what? I have a friend, an internet friend, that I think would be perfect for this. Uh, I've been following her for a while. She follows me. We comment on each other's things. And, and I was like, let me throw it because everything I know about this girl seems like she would have dug Bob Marley. And when I asked her if she had this record, she was like, it's one of my favorite albums. I have it on vinyl. And, and I was so excited to be able to sit down and talk to her. And it's like, when you do this podcast, music hits everybody. We've had some interesting guests. We've had Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the greatest astrophysicists in the world. We have Judd Apatow. We've had some of the best comics alive. And now we have arguably my favorite porn star in the whole world, the one and only Indica Flower. She is beautiful outside, inside, around side. She is a great person and I was so happy that she agreed to do this and we sat down and talked because it's cool when you really get to peel the onion back and you get to see oh you're not just this you're all of this too and it was a great conversation I think you guys are going to enjoy it rate review and most importantly subscribe to the 500 listen free on all platforms follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. And Crazy Evan is going to get mad because I didn't mention him, which is ridiculous. All right. Here we go. 319. Burning by the Whalers. There was... I See, I don't... <laughs> we're already recording, so I just want to go in. Because one, I'm a fan of you. And... Out of all the people that work in your industry, you st- you're very different. <laughs> you you stick out. You stick out for a multitude of reasons. So before we even get into Bob Marley or anything, just like where are you from? Because I want to get to the roots of this like holistic. Like you're a very dude. You're from what I see on your social media, you're living in in Baton Rouge. You Born you're a right. vo- you see, so you are so you're from you're from Baton you're from Louisiana. Yeah. All right, yeah. so so tell me so tell me there. So like like what what was your childhood like and like kind of catch us up because I want to figure out how how reggae suddenly got into your life. Uh, so, okay, so I was raised in a family where all of the women were healers. So all of my aunts and my maternal grandmother were nurses, but then my aunts were also healing touch Reiki practitioners. So, which is hippy dippy uh, shit. I know, yeah. I know. Oh, I got my neighbor oh, was like that. My neighbor would come up to me and be like, "Hold on, Josh, you just yeah. let me just." You're like, I love it. I love it. Oh yeah, look, <laughs> I and I'm pretty. I know I am like out there, but I'm also a, a science person, so I sure. I am very skeptical a lot. But I will say, healing touch and Reiki is one of the things that has probably freaked me out the most because I was like. Mm, Mm, you know, and then I had it done and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like You had an experience. Well, I mean, you can just, you know, scientifically energy is real. I mean, it is everything yeah. on this planet is made out of energy, um, you know, non-living and living, but I could feel, you know, where these people were with my eyes closed, you know, not a shadow, like not seeing them move, you know, in a completely dark room, I could feel where they were on my body. And I've had times where it made me, 
nauseated. It made me, which is, you know, I guess I got a lot of shit to deal with. Uh, but, <laughs> we all you do. Know, like, I, and then, you know, one time this one girl was like, she knew nothing about me. She did not know who I was. And she was like over my sacral chakra, which would be like your groin area. And that is like the center of like your sexuality. And she was like, were you ever a dancer? Cause I see you on a pole. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I want like this girl did not know me, you know? Yeah. So I have, you know, that is one thing I will say that I have personally experienced and been like, okay, maybe this shit is real. But, you know, growing up, we had that, but then we also had the fact that my family here, it's, it's all agriculture. Um, so there was just, there's just this deep interconnectedness with land and nature that was just embedded in me, like genetically. Um, and so I think that that has a big part of it as well, but really it was, it was one of my aunts in particular, um, who is no longer, um, alive, but yeah. It was her in particular who really um, changed my life in that way. I was probably 14 years old when I really had that like spiritual awakening mm -hmm. um, and it was fully due to her. She was involved in the Hindu. I mean, she said she was a woman of the world, but I would call her a Hindu. She went to the Hindu temple. Yeah. I was surrounded by Hindus. You know, we had Sanskrit chanting every Sunday, every other week. Um, and so I, at 14 years old, I was in this super immersive cultural lifestyle. And then I also, my dad is um, a history culture freak. He's a history teacher. Uh -huh. um, he has multiple degrees and history and culture is his passion. And so growing up there, there was never an option to like not know about the world and about different cultures and different civilizations and, and how people live, yeah. not here, you know? Yeah. So I think that, I just had, I just was really lucky, honestly, like that I was born into this world and community and family unit that was just really open. And, you know, that history and culture was like a definite, you know, that wasn't an option for us. And so my dad is an atheist. Um, <laughs> my mom is not. Um, and so I think that that also helped me as well because I got to experience this extreme Eastern spirituality. So yeah. I've, I was in the Hindu temple. I also went to the Buddhist temple a lot. Um, and around that time, right before my aunt passed, I met the Dalai Lama in 2013. And I also met Swamiji that same summer, which is the Hindu Dalai Lama, essentially. So I've had these transcendental like experiences as a very young woman. Um, and it truly, I mean, it truly changed my life. And, you know, during that time I had already struggled with it. I, my addiction had already started. Yeah. Um, I, I'm five years sober in July. Good for you. Good for you. So, you know, I had already, and I think my aunt kind of pulled me out of that and then she died. So then I went right back in, you know, and so. It happens. Just, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, everything happens how it's supposed to, but, um, you know, I've just been through some crazy shit, like not like trauma like my parents beat me or my boyfriend no, nothing like that you know like crazy shit as in like worldly shit you know and um it just i guess kind of made me into this in, in, <laughs> which is great which is great and just know that it's like you know for for you to stick out in in, in a positive way in an right. industry that is that, you know, you have every different type of person, you have the most extreme of it, where it's like, just let's fucking party and do fucking coke. And then you have to, so for, to see you, you know, living in this 
I don't even call it a farm, but you have your cottage in, in Baton Rouge. You, you know, you post stuff on social media with you listening to, you know, very, very, you know, it could be from reggae to, to, to hip hop. Uh, you know, you have chickens. You, you're, I saw a post of you talking about like, you are using products that aren't like hurting the environment. That's just Minus not something. Minus this one. That's my last thing. I'm yeah, working on it. Yeah, but that's working. always, look, if you're not doing any other you know, drugs, and all you, okay. yeah. <laughs> like, I gotta have like one vice, like yeah. give me one vice. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you're like literally saying what I've been saying to everybody. That's like, Josh, you're not really healthy if you're vaping. And I'm just like, well, I. Oh I, man, I mean, I've cut out everything else. Like. I can't do fentanyl anymore, so please just let me have this. That's okay. all I've got, this strawberry custard flavor breath that I have. Wait, but why is that like the same thing? I have a strawberry custard too. Dude, we're, we're interconnected soul children floating through this, this uh, atmosphere of love and energy and protection. Um, so I'm assuming when you grow up in that kind of like, you know, community, like you're saying with your aunt and your family, you know, music must have been a very big part of that. Well, so that was my dad. So not okay. only was history and culture, but tied into that was music. And so growing up, you know, we didn't get the aux chord. Well, there wasn't an aux chord yet, but yeah. you know, we didn't get, like it was my dad's music. So it was B-52s, um, <laughs> a lot of British ska. He's really into British ska. Nice. Um, well, I guess ska in itself is British, but. Sure. Um, and so then when I was around the age of 14, 15, when I was really like dive, and now I am like one of those, those people who, when I get interested in something, I need to learn everything. You're obsessed. And so I was reading the, and you know, at 14 years old, I was reading all of these books about, um, you know, Buddhism and Siddhartha Gautama and the story of that, right? Like, cause I like the origin stories. I want to know where this came from and what it like actually means. Yeah. And so, I was like head first in my sophomore year of high school um, into drugs, but also into Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, all of these, these gurus, right? And then my dad came to me at some point in that, that time period and was like, you know, I think you need to like look up this thing called Rastafari. He was like, I feel like this would be like something you're really interested in. And he gave me my first reggae CD in conjunction with that, which was Steel Pulse. And... I Googled Rastafari and I just read the Wikipedia page. So like just, you know, the basics. And I remember, like it gives me, it gives me goosebumps. Like it, something clicked, yeah. you know, I, I loved Eastern religion and I still do. And, and I, you know, I, I say that I Rastafari is like, if I had to pick my religion and label myself, that's what I'd pick. But really I've, I've combined, you know, all of these Eastern spiritualities into my own perfectly curated thing for me. Um, but when I read about the story of Haile Selassie and Ethiopia and how Rastafari came to be, it was just a click. It was like everything made sense. And it was like so profound to me. And it just like hit something for me. And that was, that was, the, that was it. There was no going back after that. And that's uh, it. And that's at 15. Yeah, uh, well, a, a little bit earlier than that, honestly, it was more of probably 13, 14, because I, I started dreading my hair at the same, as soon as I discovered Rastafari and I really got into the, um, 
I don't want to say rules, but the lifestyle guidelines, um, that was when I started dreading my hair and I actually have my dread. I posted it on my story the other day, my very first dread, I cut it out six years ago and I've kept it. And um, it's about two feet long and I keep it in my little sentimental box. Um, But I started that dread at 13 years old. And, um, you know, because that, that was my, so having dreads in Rastafari and, and this gets like real controversial. Okay. This gets, cause please, I, we I, love controversy on this, but there's never controversy on this podcast. Well, I've got plenty. We aren't very controversial on this podcast. The only controversy I get is when I just say like, hey, I didn't really like this song. And then I get shit on by everybody. It's so yeah. funny because this is supposed to be this like labor of love where I'm like, I'm just going to listen to all of these records and, you know, and then put this out on online. And we've been very lucky where we sold it to Spotify and a lot of money came in, but it's like, there's so many, when you talk about music and if you say anything bad about something, like if you're a fan of it, cause you get it. Somewhere like, out, someone out there who's going to freak out. Yes, because music is so tied to emotion. It's like, if there's anything that makes me emotional, it makes me cry, it's music more than movies, more than anything. Because a song reminds you of somebody you dated. It reminds you of some, like of your father, of of like a family member, whatever it is. And so we hold on to it so tightly that when somebody's like, yeah, I don't really like Radiohead. You're like, how could you just, that changed my life. So, so Mine. Exactly. So, all right. So, what? So, what controversial stuff has has come up with you? Uh, my and, hair. Of course, I'm assuming. My hair. So, I'm trying to decide how to take your time. The cultural cultural appropriation has blown up in the past three ish years due to TikTok. Okay. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Baton Rouge. It is more than 50% for sure, if not even majority black. So, you know, I grew up in the deep South, surrounded by people of color and was always accepted. And then I stepped out into the world and all of a sudden I had a bunch of white women telling me I was terrible, which keyword, white women. White women, they're always, they're the worst. They're the worst. Just so fucking interesting to me because they're they're these like crusaders that think that they are speaking up for POC when in reality you're stomping all over their voice. Let them fucking speak for themselves. Yeah. If if someone has a, a personal issue with my hair and my culture and my religion, come to me. But you are screaming over their voice when they already are not given a big enough platform for their yeah. voices. So it's just so interesting to me. And I had this happen recently on TikTok, a fellow creator that I was working with posted me and she has a lot of, you know, that kind of people following her, which, you know, um, a lot of LGBTQ and um, very liberal, progressive, and people got upset about my hair. But the issue there, and I want to put this disclaimer, locks and braids are different. Yeah. Braids were used as a protective hairstyle for slaves. There is a direct connection to slavery and the oppression of black people. Yeah. That is different. Dreads do not have that correlation. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
the first even historical sign of, of, of locks or matted hair was in something I believe was, was called the Minoan um, civilization, which was actually a European civilization. Okay, but also, but also, you know, scratch that, Neanderthals didn't have hairbrushes. And, you know, obviously there's the question of, well, what were Neanderthals? Oh, I'm, yeah. You, no, you're you good. No, 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 I love it. I love it. Go, 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 please. So, you know, there's the question of like, well, what race was the Neanderthals? Well, you know, I mean, the oldest human remains were found in Africa. So we could assume it was some sort of Middle Eastern African descent, right? The first human, the first human beings. But regardless, Nordic tribes, Germanic tribes, Indian sages. I mean, every civilization or like origin civilization, ancient Egypt, ancient Rome has had locked and matted hair, okay? So the better question, and, and I get this question from, there's actually this black professor who wrote a very long dissertation on dreadlocks, right? And he said, the better question than who owns them is who hasn't had them? What civilization and race hasn't had matted hair at some point. Yeah. And, you know, I have not, I've spoken out a little bit about my personal uh, bloodline. Obviously I'm white presenting. Um, well, some people don't think so, but you know, majority I am white presenting. I have yeah. lighter skin. I have, do have blue eyes, um, but I do have coarse, very thick hair. This is all my hair, you know? Um, but I do have indigenous blood as well as Mexican. I'm fourth generation Mexican. Yeah. And so- you know, people jump very quickly to you're a white girl with dreads and you must smoke a lot of weed and you're a rasta, right? And I'm like, that is so far from the truth. One, I'm sober, okay? So let's just knock that out the park because a lot of white rastas get the bad reputation because a lot of them are inauthentic and they're only doing it because the religion condones and encourages using marijuana, okay? Mm -hmm. But like, I don't smoke. So that's not a thing for me. That has nothing to do with my attachment to that spirituality and that lifestyle. Um, and so I think just people, white women, get on the idea. And, and I mean, some people other than white women too. I mean, I, you know. It's always, and again, it's always white women. It's know, always white women. It's so fucking irritating and sickening because they just jump to, you're white and you have dreadlocks and, you know, and that's harmful. And I'm like, I understand, I will never, ever, ever say that I, have equal experience. I was born with privilege and that is a fact. And I will never claim to have ever experienced the troubles that people of color go through ever because I'm not ever going to know. Right. But do I have a right to my hair? Yes. Do I have a right to my religion? Yes. Do I have a right to my spirituality and, and my cultural practices? Yeah. You know, they're, and for me, it's not even a thing of like cultural appropriation or appreciation because it is me. It is me, you know, like, so it's not, I'm not appreciating or appropriating. It is me. This is me. This is my bloodline. This is my culture, you know? And so, and I'm not, you know, referring to Rastafari as my cult. I mean, it is now because I have devoted myself to that lifestyle, yeah. you know? And it makes me really sad, especially in reference to Bob Marley, because, you know, his whole goal was to bring Rastafari to the Western world. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And like, I mean, it literally gives me goosebumps. He did that on a scope that he probably never imagined. And then now you're at a point where once again, you know, well, if you're white, you can't be Rasta. 
if you're not directly from Ethiopia, you can't, you know, all of these, these like prejudices are coming back, you know, and I, and that's why at the end of the day, I really don't give a fuck what people think, because I know that in the Caper Nagast, which is like the Bible, essentially, yeah. um, Bob Marley's own words, any race, creed, sex is a child of jaw. Like there's no question about that. And that was the, he wanted to spread it to more people. And so that is what I'm concerned about. You know, if I had read in the Cape Nagas that if you are not from Ethiopia, you cannot be in this, I probably would have never, I wouldn't have never sure. continued. Yeah. You know, but that was never the message. And I've also done a little bit of due diligence, you know, so I actually won an award um, when I graduated high school for most impact on the community. I wrote a dissertation on dreadlock discrimination and the history of dreadlocks. And then I went to elementary schools throughout Baton Rouge and taught a class to middle schooler, no, to fifth, fourth graders on the history of dreadlocks and then dreadlock discrimination, the effects it ha has had on people of color. And so, you know, it's not like I'm just out here fucking bumbling around yeah. smoking weed <laughs> and having dreads, you know, yeah. like, but no one ever is going to know that. And I don't, and I don't owe it to people to tell them, you know, in conversations like this, I'm more than happy to share, but am I going to go on TikTok and post my fucking DNA? What do you call it? What's the website? <laughs> your, your, you know, your, your Ancestry.com. Like, <laughs> no, no, because I don't fucking care, dude. Like, this is my life. I know my truth. I know my heart. I know where I'm at with it. And I know how I was raised. And yeah. I also know that the majority of people on TikTok who look and act like me are inauthentic sure. and just do a bunch of what I mean and think they're enlightened, but have never <laughs> sat for 10 minutes in silence with themselves, you know? Yeah. So I just don't care. I mean, it is what it is. I'm, I don't want to ever disrespect the POC community in any way. And I think that's mostly why I don't speak out more on it. And I just kind yeah. of delete comments or whatever, because, you know, I did grow up. I mean, the high school I graduated from, there were 10 white kids in my graduating class. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Like, I mean, I know, I know Louisiana is like, Louisiana is like, and it's also, if it's white, it's like poor white, like really oh, yeah. like, you know, it's, well, and it's funny because you do have the one percenters, but it's not like middle-class white. It's like very wealthy white people. So there's a very big like gap, right? Sure. And I, I was middle-class, right? You know, my mom was, um, she was like the breadwinner boss bitch. And my dad was like the guy who like followed his passions and, you know, did what he wanted to do. And so I, you know, never had to like want for anything. Was I spoiled? I would not say so. I've worked from the age of 15, you know, there was never, my mom is an accountant. Okay. So yeah. this was, 
you work for, for what you get. You know, my parents, my mom, my mom grew up in the projects, Yeah. you know, in Baton Rouge and not far from actually where I am right now. And she put herself through college, you know? So it's just interesting because this narrative gets like tacked on so quick. Like you're white, you have money. And I'm like, God, like that was not, you know, I was a drug addict for 10 years. Like I was, I don't need to say too much, but like, you know, you I ran you, around yeah. with one of the um, circles of people that starts with the G ends with the G, you know? <laughs> so like, I, I, you know, I've lived a very interesting life and I just wish that people would like keep a little bit more of an open mind. But I also know that I don't, I'm not very good at that either because sometimes when I see white people with dreads acting like how I've described, right? Smoking all their, you know, weed and yeah. just out here like, oh, Bob Marley for life, Jamaica. And I'm like, Jamaica, what are you talking, this is from Ethiopia, like, what are you talking about, you Damn. know? And, you know, they have no idea who Marcus Garvey is. They have no idea who Holly Selassie is. They have no idea what Rastafari even means. And yes. so I judge them and I understand. So I do get it, you know, from an outward perspective, I get it. And it's hard to keep that open mind and to like ask, you know, ask people about them. So it's hard. And so, you know, at the end but, of the day, but I, at the end of the day, and this is the thing that, that I have to deal with as when you put your art out there, or you're putting yourself out in public, um, you know, never read comment. Everybody's going to have a problem. Never read the comments. Just do what you love. Be who you are. Be a good person. Be true. And especially in your situation with somebody that is getting flack for, for their hair, when you grew up in a household that was very, very open to different cultures and spirituality. And it's kind of a culture shock for me, honestly. Yeah. Because I, I did mean, also growing up in Baton Rouge, you know, in high school, and this is fucking horrific, okay, looking uh -huh. back, but in high school, my friends were like, why won't you say the N-word? say it. And I was like, and my mom, you know, I had never, I don't even think I'd ever heard someone actually speak the N word ever because in my house, that was, I mean, that was just out of the, I mean, that didn't even exist. You know, you did not say that. And so in school, all my friends are like, just say it, you know, and they were, you know, my friends were black. I did not hang out with the white people in my school because they were like even worse off than I was with the drug stuff. So I like stayed away from them. Sure. And I was trying to like clean up my act at that point. Cause I had already gotten expelled from my other school. So I was working on you know, bettering myself, um, but I was 17 years old, you know, but so my friend, child, yeah, yeah, that's when you make mistakes. And then yeah. you come out into this world outside of Louisiana and it's like, there's a lot of parameters and like, I would never, I would never say the N word. Like, that's totally not, I would never, but like, it's just funny because growing up down here, your friends wanted you to say it. They were yeah. bullying you for not saying it. You know, and then it's just such a polar, like the polarity of it all, I guess, is interesting. And, you know, none of this really started until three, you know, until TikTok blew up during quarantine. Before that, appropriation, you know, of course, it's always existed, but it wasn't so like spotlighted. Now you get canceled a lot and, and some people deserve to get canceled. Okay. First, like, totally. Yes. But some people don't. You know, some people make mistakes and then they educate themselves, you know, and, and I think that there's just like a, a big lack of like compassion and forgiveness. Yes, completely. But if, if it, but in, if you're, if you're living this principles of you living the principles of that Rastafari is like set aside and this is what you believe, then you can fucking, yeah. you can do whatever the fuck you want with your hair. It doesn't make a difference. Right. Cause, and, right. and that's, and that's the main thing is that, you know, what Bob Marley, to bring it back to the record, 
with Bob Marley, you know, if you go through the songs that are on this record, like oh. get up, stand up. It's not, it's not just his fight. It's like, that's a call for you to like stand up for what you believe in, like who you are. And it could be, you know, uh, in the immediate time that you wrote the song, it could be, you know, dude, I hate to say it, but like the January 6th people could be like, fucking I'm standing up. They think they're doing something right. That's their belief. Yeah. It's to fight for what you believe in. So okay. I think, and I think he was fighting, you, you know, a very important racial, I mean, he's just such, I mean, he is just as influential as the Dalai Lama, in my opinion, you know, what he brought to our world and like our Western society is like. It's incredible. So, so let me, let me ask you this. Cause I, cause now I want to know, because now that I know what we know a little bit about who you are, what you believe your passion, tell me about how Bob Marley got into your life. Um, so, I mean, definitely, you know, from my dad, I think once he gave me my steel pulse CD and I, and I like just jumped into Rastafari, then he, yeah, he gave me a Peter Tosh CD. And then of course he told me who, you know, about Bob Marley. Right. And, you know, I started watching documentaries. I watched interviews. I, I know every song ever created by him, even unreleased ones, you know, and his music is not like, it's not just music. It, it's like Psalms, you know, it's like a, a meditation. Um, I mean, it's prayers really, you know, like his, and it's just so powerful, the stuff and, and the ways that he speaks out about, you know, the racial struggles and like the war, you know, in the back to Africa movement. I mean, that was such an insane time, you know, Marcus Garvey, was a huge influence on Bob Marley, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, Bob Marley was not, he was not born Rastafari. He, he was born, I think, um, some form of Christianity. I don't remember maybe which one, but he was Christian. And Holly Selassie, so Rastafari started in the 1940s. Uh -huh. It was when Mussolini was trying to take over Ethiopia. And Holly Selassie was the emperor at the time. And so Rastafari actually, Ras is king in Amarek, and Tafari uh -huh. was Holly Selassie's birth name. Uh -huh. So it literally is him, King Tafari, like that is him. Um, and so long story short, Holly Selassie gathered up the men of Ethiopia and went to battle against Benito Mussolini, who had, you know, modern day technology, right? Guns, weapons, stuff like that. And Holly Selassie was on the front lines with his men. They didn't have shoes on. They had handmade weapons and they literally fought for their country and they saved the country. I mean, and it's, it is an incredible story. So that is the event that sparked the belief that Holly Selassie was the reincarnation of, of God. Cause they're like, how could anyone do this? You know, yeah. like, he saved us. And it was like literally seemed like an impossible feat. And also on top of that, he was just a very spiritually, I mean, he was on a higher plane, yeah. you know? I mean, there was a, an innate wisdom in him that you see in the Dalai Lama and other gurus like that, you know, real gurus, not fucking. <laughs> not internet guru. Not, not, yeah. It's but, like, yeah. Everybody, everybody's an internet guru right now. It's oh, like, it's, it's insane. <laughs> literally insane just because you like, can oh, post God. a meme you can post a meme you can you can you can copy and paste a meme and, so and you're bad. like you're so spiritual it's like no so you scary 
I'm like, you guys are getting so fucked in the head right now. Yeah. But yeah. So, you know, it, I mean, it's an incredible story. And so Holly Selassie was going on speaking in conferences, essentially. Um, and he went to Jamaica to speak. And so Jamaica was kind of already on this vibe from Marcus Garvey, right? The Back yeah. to Africa movement. But then Holly Selassie came and he spoke. And that brought ro- the term and the, and the religion itself, Rastafari, to Jamaica. And Bob Marley converted. So he was not born into Rastafari. He found it just like, you know, the rest of us have. And, um, you know, it, it's just so, And so, you know, Bob Marley has 11 children. He's got a lot, dude. He's, he did not pull out, dude. That motherfucker dumped, <laughs> he yeah. dumped cum all throughout yeah, the world. <laughs> but his children are literal, like, prodigies. I mean, so I've seen Ziggy Marley, I've seen the Whalers. Yeah. I've seen Damien Marley. And it's funny because my parents bought me all of these tickets for like different birthdays and stuff. Yeah. My parents, ones who sent me, oh, I saw Steel Pulse. Nice. Um, so my parents have sent me to all of these concerts. Like this is like their kind of thing, you know? And, um, and you know, seeing Ziggy in particular, because he's the one that like resembles Bob so the most, much. Yeah. I Bob the entire time, the first time I saw him. Aww. Like security kept asking me if I was okay. I was <laughs> when I saw him. Because... I mean, I, I I felt Bob, you know, and it was like, oh God, makes me ugh, oh. makes me tear up a little bit. I mean, because it was just so powerful. Like you can feel. I mean, it's, there's just an energy from from that family that like is insane. So, yeah, world- so 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 you, I mean, that of course is something like you know, seeing Ziggy. How old were you when you saw Ziggy? 16. Six, okay, so you're, you are young. So all right, So are the people that you're hanging out with into reggae music? I mean, is are you just like this little nugget of, of Baton Rouge that's like, holy shit, like, like how is um, everybody not fucking with, with Bob Marley? Because, I mean, for me, for me, it was, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. You know, I very, very, uh, like, every different race, color, and creed, very middle class. And I think for me... My first experience with Bob Marley was when somebody in my friend's basement were smoking pot. Somebody puts on Legend, which I think is like, it's on this list, but I think it's like, Adam, find out when Legend. I think Legend is in like the top 20 for sure. Um, But yeah, and that's like every one of his big songs. And it's such an easy listen. It's like immediately, you know, regardless, I, I think reggae might be one of the easiest musics musical like uh like you know genres to just get into it's like i don't think there's anybody that puts on reggae it's like oh this is terrible no yeah this but is- it's interesting that's that is i guess the outward perspective but like for me you know i the word easy is not what i would use because some of it is so like you know especially his songs that do get a lot more into the race struggle yeah it's like it's just pain you know it, it's it's just this like deep empathy and you know but i think that you're probably not gonna feel that way unless you are in it the way i am you know what i mean like yeah i'll be like oh you know well yeah you know fight on and but like there is just a deep generational pain you know in in his words and i and it's just, i mean it's just insane and you connected like, with that and you connected with that at 14 15 years old yeah i I don't know if you know the term indigo child kind of sounds mm. like bullshit, but tell me. 
it's so it's actually is a little bit like widely accepted it's not just like a hippy dippy thing um indigo children are children that have been born after 1978 mm-hmm. but not all children it's it's a specific it's i don't really know like what it's kids that are different it's kids okay. that are born different with this innate sense of in- intuitiveness um with a sense of greater purpose um it's just kids because I've been different from day one you know yeah I mean I was I was at four years old I was already fucking you know I asked my mom what sex was when I was four and and she told me because there was no lying to me like you couldn't you know I knew and and so I just there there was always and so yeah by 14 you know I was already struggling with addiction and I think that that opened up you know I mean it made a hole and I think that Mm -hmm spirituality filled that for me. Um, and long-term it definitely has, obviously I was in and out of addiction, um, until this last time. And hopefully I never am again, but, um, you know, I think that I was dealing with some things that were much larger than high school, Mm -hmm. you know, to I'm genetically an addict. My mom is, is 39, wait, 39 years sober. She got sober at 15 and stayed sober. Okay, it's good interesting because I got sober the first time at 15. And it's like this, like this generational genetic imprint, you know, and there was nothing that could have been done differently in my life that would have changed that path for me. Like that was happening regardless. I was not abused as a child. I do not have child sexual trauma. I mean, I had incredible parents who have shown me true unconditional love and yet i was still so fucked i was such an addict i mean at like six years old i'd get addicted to like cream cheese on saltine cracker you know like the addictive behavior was there yeah from day one and it was just a ticking time bomb until i i got my hands on, on drugs. drugs yeah yeah which high school would be that time and and i mean i started at 13 it's a little young but so I think I was just dealing with things that were like so far beyond teenage life. And so with that came other things that were far beyond teenage life. You know, I would meditate and, and do Sanskrit chants on our lunch breaks at school. Like I have photos actually of me doing it in the front yard of Baton Rouge High. And like the kids thought I was fucking insane for more reasons than that. Obviously yeah. I was also a drug addict. So like there was that little detail too. Yeah. And I would like dance on the cafeteria tables for quarters. So like, you know, things were a little weird. Um, yeah. You're making the most of it. There's nothing, there's nothing oh, weird. Yeah, in, in addiction, your behavior is so fucking out there. Yeah. Like, and I think I was extremely hypersexualized. Well, I've always been hypersexual. I think that's just like a, a character trait. Sure. You know, I think that's who I am, part of who I am, but it also ties in with addiction too. Um, it's that addiction to adrenaline, you yeah, know, for sure. And so, um, you know, kids, but they, they definitely thought I was fucking whack. Like, I mean, I have drawings actually, and I, I keep a lot of stuff. Um, but I have photos of this one drawing that my friend, his name was Finn drew of me our sophomore year. And it was like this guy praying a woman and it had her boobs out and he had a triangle drawn from the third eye to the nipples and wrote, this is why Indica doesn't wear a bra. Because I truly believe, and I didn't wear a bra. I didn't even, I would show up to high school without shoes. Obviously, I got expelled. But, (laughs) um, 
you know, he, he even knew that I did believe there was some larger, deeper connection to this naturalistic like lifestyle. I was already living at 15 years old, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, and it, 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 it's, it's my reality. So it's very normal. But then as I've obviously have become someone in the public eye and I start talking about it and I'm like, Oh, this was not everyone else's experience. Like, Hmm. You know, other 14 yeah. year olds, like, I don't know, playing with their friends. Like that's weird, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I don't, I mean, I, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for all the experiences that I've had because now I'm, you know, 24 years old and I'm really fucking successful. And I don't think that we like that if I had not started that journey so young. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table. Featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics, they all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. You know, yeah. because now I'm five years into recovery. And, you know, if I had started at 20, I would not be there probably until I, my mid thirties. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, fuck it, dude, get it out the way. I did end up graduating high school. I nice. did go to college. I'm fuck going to yeah. college again. You know, I own my own business. I have won awards for sucking dick. Like, you know, I mean, so, <laughs> you know, I, I made it, I guess, you know, I'm here. We're here. You are know, you, are you happy? I am. I the, really am. Then that's I'm, all that matters. That's oh, all that matters. Right. It doesn't matter what they say on TikTok. It doesn't matter what what anybody thinks of you. If if, if as long as you, I always like. I love this. Keep your side of the street clean. Just keep it yeah. clean. Be a good person. Yeah. And, and it all comes back tenfold. It really does. Like I have stayed authentic to myself from the beginning in my in my porn career, and it has come back tenfold. Like every day of my life, I see the payoff from coming into this and saying, no, I'm not going to conform to everything you guys are telling me I need to do to be famous or to be successful. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be me. 
and we'll see what happens because I do trust the universe. And I trust that when you put authentic, good things out there, it comes back. And I am like the walking fucking poster child for that. I mean, truly, truly, you know, it has, I mean, it has paid off really. And oh, you're killing it, dude. Dude, you know, you're killing you it. I don't have an award for, I don't have an award for sucking dick. I don't, yeah, Adam doesn't have one. I'm literally gay as fuck. So <laughs> that's even another layer of the onion, you know, that I'm a yeah. lesbian from straight porn and like killing it, you know? I, but I'm also, I was a theater kid. I did take theater in high school and I love performing. I'm definitely a natural performer. And so it's much more about being on camera than it is about who I'm with. You sure. Know? Yeah. Camera drives me. Once that record button <laughs> hit, I'm like, let's do it. You know, I don't give a fuck. Like, but in my personal life, yeah, no, there's none of that. Yeah. Nice, nice. And and Bob Marley was a lesbian. I don't know if we all knew that. Uh, he loved he loved women. A lot of kids. Loved loved women. A lot of children. When did yeah, you- and I mean, that's part of that music lifestyle. I think. When did you get this record? Cause you have it, cause, um, I, cause this was what's so cool in is that I, like, I was like, I was like, fuck, we gotta, we gotta fill this. I leave in a week. And I was like, I was on Pornhub and I was like, fuck man. I was like, I'm, we, we follow each other. I was like, yeah, let me see if she's into it. And then when I hit you up, you were like, I own this record on vinyl. Like it's one of my favorite records. I just knew it. It's like, we talk about energy. I was like, I was like this, she knows reggae. I don't think that this chick is just like, you don't, you don't live the lifestyle that you're living. And I'm not just talking about your profession. I'm talking about right, having right. chickens. I'm talking about trading honey for, for eggs. Like you're always, you dance. Like I bet you smell so fucking nog chompa-y and fucking bomb. Yeah, dude. And like, that's one thing. My, my hair does not fucking stink. And I just want to say that once and fucking all. <laughs> my hair smells good as fuck, okay? Smell- it smells so good. Everybody on set always says like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh, so you thought I was going to stink? Like, <laughs> I mean, I put that out there. I'm clean. Okay. I'm actually a little bit <laughs> clean freak, you know, to be out there in the dirt. But when, in my house, you know, I definitely need to bathe. I do bathe. Yeah, okay? dude, and I your house, out. your house, dude. I bet your shit smells like essential oils. Fucking like oh, look. patchouli candle right here. We've got yeah. it lit. Yeah, dude. Yeah, of course, of course. That's a good candle too for the people that can't see it. That ain't some fucking Trader Joe's bullshit. That's like you got to order that, or or maybe my assistant actually gave this to me, and I love really? it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So so tell me though, tell me let's let's so tell me when you first got burning by the Whalers. Um. So I think the record I probably got maybe six or seven years ago when I got my record player. I didn't have a record player like throughout high school. I, I used CDs because I drove a, um, well, I drove a lot of cars because I wrecked a lot I could, of them. I could see but. you having a Jeep. I could see a Jeep in your life. No, everyone said, I actually drive like a souped out custom rim Maxima SL. Okay, all right. <laughs> and that's the Baton Rouge of me. I'll, that's the Baton Rouge of me. Like, it does, it does run on coconut oil, but it's <laughs> it's great though. Right, that's what I say. I'm like, I might have a Louis Vuitton and I might have acrylics on, but best believe there's dirt under them. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm still gonna be out there dragging my purse on the ground and digging in the dirt. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and that's why sometimes I, I've called, like in the past, I've called myself a trap because I do genuinely, that is the merge of me, that Baton Rouge in me and like my past mixed with my, like my soul's true purpose. You know, when you strip away like all of that 
materialistic shit. Um, yeah. like, you know, trap hippie, I just feel like is like what I am, you know, like there's, a, there's a lot of Abusi, a lot of young boy. And then there's also a lot of sage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's quite, Oh, you practice what you preach. So, oh, so yeah. you, got, you got the record, you got the record, you got the actual record six years ago, but when do you think you heard this record the first time? Do you remember? Uh, it would have been probably in 2014, probably 2014, which would have been my, sophomore year of high school yeah so yeah and so you you already said you are what you understood about him but like like what stood out from this record to you like what did you connect with like you know well so my favorite songs by him ever are actually on this record it's yeah. small acts and duppy conqueror and i think i really liked those because they were not well known but they also, well, so Small Axe has a little bit of kind of a slave, it's Does kind it? of like an homage to slavery, I think, you know? Yes. I mean, that's, um, and then Duppy Conqueror is just this like, and once again, Goosebumps, is is the song where you can just hear that he is liberated, you know? Like, I'm free, like I am free, and and this this is where I'm meant to be. And so I think that, you know, obviously he has very famous songs, which are all incredible as well, but those two that don't get a lot of recognition, but have like such just a deep message, you know, I think that it just hit me. And I think what is the, um, of course, Get Up, Stand Up's great. I Shot the Sheriff is my dad's favorite Bob Marley song ever. So I Shot the Sheriff is also, I mean, just incredible. It's the classic. And I think it's really fucking relevant right now with you know, the black men that are being slaughtered across our country by police officers. And, yeah. and, you know, I wish that it was like more, I would get like popular again. Cause I'm like, Hey guys, this is like super relevant, you know, and, and he's got a message and, but um, you know, I, I, yeah, I just think small acts and Duppy Conquer really, really, really have always been. Um, the new jams. Yeah. And there's actually one recording, I think it's on Apple music of him singing small acts and it sounds like it's, um, it must've been like a live recording. And it's just, I don't, it's just amazing. I, I love so, it. I, I love him. I love everything about it. So, so this is my first, do I want to say, maybe I've listened to Exodus all the way through, but I think this is the first Bob Marley record in a long time that I've listened to. Wait, uh, I want to grab one other thing. Hold no, on. no, go ahead. Go ahead. So for the first time we're talking about it on the 500. This is the first time we've hit a Marley or a Whalers album. You want me to say that? You can. I'm just letting you know. I can. And the next time, next, we won't talk about him again until number 181. So we've You'd got to love that fact, dude. You love. Yeah, I think it's. I think it puts the album list in perspective. That's why. Well, keep then here, Peter. When you're editing this, keep what Adam just said in there because this is all part of the the foray. What do you got, in? Um. So this was a limited edition the whalers catch a fire album and it's a lighter oh, I just wanted to oh dude that's <laughs> sick dude and that's so cool that is so yeah. awesome one of my favorites yeah and, and then obviously i have the limited edition exodus which is like humongous um 
has like a whole a whole reading thing in it but um yeah this one's definitely one of my favorites as well so let me hear so 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 we i'll do a little bit of background for everybody that doesn't know all the all the fleece army out there so burning is the sixth record by bob marley and the whalers it's released october 1973 six months after catch a fire it's mostly written by marley and recorded in april of that year in kingston jamaica then mastered in london this was the last album before band members peter tosh and buddy whaler left for solo careers uh want to know the sales everybody why not burning peaked at number 151 on the billboard 200 number 41 on their black albums chart which i guess adam you wrote this so is this what's the, is that what they used to call yeah, that's what they used to call it. It was the Black Albums category was originally known as Hot R&B in the 60s, Soul in the 70s, then back to Black Albums in the 80s, then R&B in the 90s before <laughs> they got the hip-hop designation in 99. The evolution of the Black it's, music it's category. It's crazy how racist we used to be. Oh. Just like blatant. Yes, <laughs> Good. All right, so, so we've got country, we've got classical music, we've got rock and roll, and then and then uh, R and B, rap, hip hop, reggae, all that. That just falls under black people shit. Can we just I put mean, that in? I mean, that's so fucked. <laughs> so like, those funny. are such different and all you know so impactful in their own way, but like such different genres. And, yeah. and honestly, reggae, like. I it yeah that it should never be lumped in <laughs> R and B hip hop jet none of it not alternative it is reggae it's reggae like, yeah. it is reggae. it's not ska it is reggae and you know it's definitely its own thing and it's so I love that you know he was making music in the sixties and seventies because like that it's just so such like a symbol of that time yeah like, that was the fucking wake up call like that is when spiritual the word spiritual even well in the western world okay because eastern everywhere else it was was, before us yeah but that is when the western world finally caught on you know and and i think that he he just played such a big part in that and i think that white people owe bob marley a lot because he brought a new level of spirituality whether you are a roster or not you know in the 70s this was a vibe right you know this was a spiritual vibe and and he brought that and i think that we owe him a, i mean it was a big culture change it was a big shift you know it really was um I, I, to go off what you're saying i i don't think he if he's if these songs are just about love you know my girlfriend you know just whatever like most songs are most songs are about like you know you know, like, it's like, oh, my heart's broken or I'm in love. There, there's something far deeper about Bob Marley than just, you know, and you don't even have to know if you just listen to the lyrics, you, like you said, you said it perfectly earlier. They're, they're, um, how did you phrase it? They're like, they're spiritual chants. They're, um, yeah. they're songs. Yes, that's it. Yeah, These are, this is, I mean, and this is why it's you know something like this record is added to the national recording register it's in the library of congress you know this is like a record this bob marley anything that he did anything that he touched was on a far bigger thing like the beatles might have changed the face of music and might have recorded uh the greatest music ever written to mankind but that was all like psychedelic bass that wasn't coming from a real a real raw 
place of like generation after generation of fucking pain, you know, yes. and then freedom, and then freedom, you know. So this, I mean, this is just—it's so profound, and I think people just like don't even like put that together. But it is. I mean, it really is. Like in my mind, he is what I think of when I think of freedom after slavery. Yeah, you know, yeah, having that voice and being able to to fucking shout it to the world and just. I mean, he is a legend. He's a, a legend. legend. You know? He's and and and, 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 and Buju Banton, like it, they're legends. You know, Peter like did not die in vain. Like that man, I mean, he is also, in my opinion, just as important as Bob Marley. Well, you're speaking of them. There's this is the interesting facts that Adam pulled out about this record. Well, one, I gotta say, the original album title was supposed to be Reincarnated Souls, Reincarn Reincarnated. Reincarnated souls. I'm stupid. Uh, and, and after bu uh, member Bunny Whaler's song of the same name, but was changed because of his departure from the group, along with the song being cut from the album being released as a B-side to Concrete Jungle. All right, these are the interesting facts. Adam loves this fact. This is the first, the first of five times we're going to be talking about Bob Marley and the Whalers on the 500. Natty Dread came in at 181, Exodus at 169, Catch a Fire at 126. Jesus, dude, it's, it's like five more years from now, it's going to be all Bob Marley for like three weeks. Then, wait, he's got, and then, oh, and then Legend at number 46. And then there's the 2020 rerun because we're using, and we're using the, um, 2012 Rolling Stone list. The list means nothing, by the way. List sucks. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, Legend dropped two spots to 48, Exodus to 71, Catch a Fire dropped to 140, and Burnin' and Natty Dread didn't make the cut. So this didn't make the cut. <clears throat> That's crazy. All right. Here are the interesting facts that Adam pulled. I, I like these because I read these earlier. All right. In 1974, Tosh and Livingston left the band due to their refusal to play freak clubs. What is a freak club? Find out, is that like where you just, is that where they, is that the shit that's on World Star Hip Hop where they just, they're like, they're fucking like grinding and the guy gets up on the ladder and like stage dives onto the girl's ass? So you free clubs, so free clubs are, to them, was places whose practices clashed with their Rastafarian beliefs. Oh, so it's Peter not- Peter Tosh would have never sacrificed, like he, was that like as traditional to the like by the book as it got for Rastafari, you know? And so like, yeah, I could totally see that. I doubt he would. Whereas Bob was like way more forgiving, you know, yeah. and wanting to spread it. So that would have meant, hey, well, this is a new audience. But Peter Tosh, I think, had a lot more of that um that anger, you know, and fair of fucking enough. Like, like, you know, not coming in a like a judgmental place, but like I think more of that like fuck you guys, you know, like yeah. I don't, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know? I, so <clears throat> Tosh believed that producer Chris Blackwell, whom he called Chris Whitewurst, was responsible for the bad relationship between the band members as he thought Blackwell released their albums under Bob Marley and the Whalers instead of the Whalers since 1969, which tested their friendship. Perry released two compilation records. All right. That's not important. All right. This is the one that's important. This I love. I don't know why I love it, but I do. Multiple members of the band have an odd connection that they were murdered. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's just such a weird connection. Several, it's just, it's crazy. Several of the members were killed, including Carlton Barrett, 
and Peter Tosh in 1987, Junior Brathwaite, who was in the group in the 60s in 1999. That is insane. But do not, you know, you can't get that twisted. That was assassination. Was it? Peter Tosh was hunted down. You really? know, people tried to murder Bob Marley multiple uh, times. Well, I know, I know that. I know Bob, well, Bob. Bob was like doing like you talked about how Bob like we were when I was doing the Beatles comparison, the Beatles changed music. They changed the way we get music. They changed everything about it, the way it's accepted, the way, you know, it's we hear it. Uh, Bob Marley changed like he wasn't it's so much a rock star as he was a deity. Like you held him up to this like he 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 sang a song, you know, yesterday, beautiful song by the Beatles. People like like would hear a Bob Marley song and be like, I'm changing my life. Like I'm following this guy because of what he's saying. They, they, they treated him like he's Jesus. Well, and I, you know, I'm truly, and obviously he's a human like the rest, but I do that. He, you know, had like Holly Selassie, you know, I do think that he's, I just think some people are born on this earth with an innate wisdom and higher level of consciousness and I do now that doesn't take away from their humanity okay they're still men they still fuck they still have babies they still cheat they still you know they're still humans but underneath that if you took away society and all of the things that come with it they are on a higher level of consciousness and I think that he's just one of those people and it was just so imminent like you can feel it you know you watch his inner you can feel it I mean I don't know if I've ever been able to like watch anything of him and not tear up, you know, like, because, and even his children, you know, being just in the, and when I first saw Ziggy, it was a small room. And I was like, my parents got me like front row seats. And I mean, his dreads were like swinging in my face and I just, I could feel it. And like knowing that that was, you know, Bob's first son was like, you know, I mean, like, Still makes me tear up, you know. I mean, you can you can just feel it. Yeah. I mean, you really can. Like, and it's it's transcendental. I mean, it is like, and I know how like hippy dippy that sounds, but you know, I am a science person too. And but there are some things in life that like I have not been able to explain, and and that is one of them. And like the impact that it has had on my life. Like, I mean, I just can't stress it enough. I mean, I have Rastafari and Ixia Behar tattooed on my wrist. Yeah, like, dude. I have the. <laughs> Lion of Judah and the Star of David. These were my first tattoos. Like, I mean, it is on my body for life. When I turned 18, I knew that that was what I needed on my body. You know, I wanted an everyday reminder of what saved me, you know? And it's right here. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. I mean... And this is actually, I got this at a hostel um, at a, a Ross <laughs> Island off the coast of Belize. Um, a friend of mine did it that lives out there. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just, and I, I spend a lot of time on that Rasta Island. And that's something I want to say too is, you know, with, uh, with all the judgment here, 
on that island, it was inhabited by, it's called K-Calker. Um, it was taken over and inhabited by Rastas in the Caribbean in the 70s. And now it's a mixture of Rastas and Belizeans who are also very Rasta-like. There are no cars. It's a five mile long island. It's very small. You walk around and I've been there a lot of times. I have friends there. I know the locals. And when I am there, not one of those people questions my spirituality. Yeah. When they see me on the street, it's Wagwan Rasta Gia. Like that's it. There's no question. I am just one of them. Yeah. And like that, that is Rastafari. That yeah. is the human representation of it, you know? And so if if my people that also follow the path that I follow accept me, I just don't fucking give a fuck what everyone else thinks. Good. You know? And those people do accept me with fucking open arms. Yeah. And open pay attention arms. to them. And in pay attention to them. Because <clears throat> those are the people that that are gonna pay you for the rest of your life. Those are your fans, the people that love you, you know, and the fact that you can go directly to them now with something like OnlyFans and you can, and I see you're building your YouTube, like you're just keep doing what you're doing and, and all the negativity will just keep bouncing off of you with more success. You'll, you'll, it's like that layer cake, man. We, we were born, we smell shit. We get up higher, we smell less shit. And so one day you're just so far up there that, that you don't even remember what sh shit smells like. It's just, it's yeah. over. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't use sex work and my and my sexuality to build a platform and then use that platform for my real message. Yeah. You know? And that's smart. That's what I've done. And that's what I'm doing with my YouTube right now. You gotta give them the stuff that they want. And then you get to a point where then you can post whatever you want, you yeah. know? And and like my Instagram, you know, that's why it's been so challenging when it's been, when it's gotten deleted in the past, because it's like, fuck, dude, I've had that. I've been Indica, Indica flower on Instagram since 2013. Yeah. Like this is OG. I mean, people in Baton Rouge would stop at red lights next to me and be like Indica flower when I was 15 years old. Cause I, I was Tumblr famous before I was ever a stripper or any of that in high school. And so, you know, I mean, this is just, it's just been my identity for so long and it truly is a part of me. We made a YouTube video yesterday. My mom had to call me by Indica for the video. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like we were both just cringing. Cause I was like, okay, don't ever say that again. Like, that, is not <laughs> that was very fucking weird. My mom should not be calling me Indica. Like, but yeah. you know, there is also, I mean, I am Indica flower. That's like, who I you are. That is, it is a huge part of me. So. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, let's just talk about a couple of tracks that we'll get you out of here. We got uh, some Patreon questions. All right, I guess we have to talk about, let's talk about these three songs. Let's talk about Get Up, Stand Up. Um, this peaked at number 33. Why do you have the Dutch top 40, Adam? Like, why that is, high, why do, That's the highest it peaked out of any of the charts. In, in Dutch? Thanks, in, Adam. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Indica. Don't build him up, oh, Indica. Do not do that. He... he no. All right. Who shows up all the guests is coming to my... Cool, favorite, Adam. It's, Adam's fine. Adam's <laughs> in a comic book store in New Jersey. That's That's... Or you Santa know. Rosa, California. Or Santa Rosa with a salamander behind them. Um, Bearded dragon. So this song is considered... reptiles, just saying. I have two beardies. Oh, really nice. <laughs> so I have this... a whole reptile room right back there. <laughs> I, I just have my dog. Can you see her? Can you see her? Like a... <laughs> oh, he's chilling. Wait, does he have a ball? Oh, first my God, of all, shut the First of all, it's a girl, and she's very oh. feminine. She is very oh. feminine. You can see That's by the so pink. Hard. It's quite yeah. all right. She's, she's okay. fluid. She watches Euphoria. You know, she's fluid. 
Um, so this song is considered one of Marley's greatest songs. Uh, in 2021, Rolling Stone magazine released the 500 greatest songs of all time. This came in at number 260. Um, th yeah, this is like, I think when you're talking about Bob Marley and you're talking about the greatest songs, these aren't my favorite, but these are the biggest. Get Up, Stand Up, I'd Say No Woman, No Cry, uh, Redemption Song, uh, Three God. Little Birds, Three Little Birds. Like, those are like I icons. No, I don't really like Three Little, I'm gonna be honest. Don't care, don't really? listen to Three Little Birds. Nope, nope, no, because okay. that is not, I feel like that, you know, it's a cute song, sure. It's very cute. But like, that's not him. That's not his message, you know? Like, Redemption Song, Zimbabwe, that is his fucking message. Like, that is the music that he makes that literally brings me to tears, you yeah. know? And stand up, I mean, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but if you want to say you started a movement, that's the fucking movement, yeah. you know? That is the embodiment of his movement. Get up and stand up for whatever the fuck you believe in. Yeah. You know, so, and, and, I mean, it's. So, this song is about taking action to avoid oppression. Uh, Marley wrote it with Peter Tosh, and the song was influenced by their upbringing in Jamaica, where they had to fight for respect and acceptance for the Rastafarian religion. According to his then girlfriend, Esther Anderson, Marley wrote the song while touring Haiti, deeply moved by its poverty and the lives of Haitians. See, this is why I make fun of bands like from Orange, Cali Orange County, California that, that try to make like reggae. I get it, you can make the genre, it doesn't hit the same as this shit. Do you know what I mean? Let's like, There is one new age reggae, well, there's a few. Take, take me there. But, there. but there is one in particular, Tribal Seeds, and they're white Rastas, but their message is very similar and their music, impacts me in that same way really um, yes it does and i'm a fucking snob i mean i am i like 70s reggae because that was the, the real movement you know yeah. i love peter Tosh. i love bougie bandit like that is the real shit and and thank god bougie is free now um but um i think he got released like two years ago but anyways <laughs> so um you know but Tribal Seeds, and there's another band called Soja, which stands for Soldiers, Soldiers of Jaw ja Army. Oh, dude, I, I I grew up, we had we had Jaw Works. Jaw Works was like our local I reggae. Like ja Works. You know Jaw Works? Yeah, it, I, yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I, but Tribal Seeds and Soja is much more aligned with Bob Marley's message. Tribal Seeds gets more into the oppression surrounding weed. Yeah. And marijuana, you know, because in, in the Rastafari culture, in the Bible, when it says the weed that grew upon Solomon's grave, they believe that that is marijuana. And I honestly don't necessarily think that that's not true. Um, I can't smoke because I'm a fucking drug addict and a crackhead. Yeah. But, um, you know, if I could, I'm sure it'd be great. I mean, it was kind of great in high school, also kind of made me anxious. Um, but, you know, I... I think that it serves its purpose and I do think it's healing as fuck. I mean, I think medicinally and hemp, hemp alone is great. It's going to be the future of the world. I mean, it's going sure. it, it's sustainable. I mean, it's incredible, you know, and it's like shocking that like, it's not even being used. It's and getting you know, there. No, it's getting there. It's we're, we're right there. We're right there when you have the Senate passing, you know, trying to decriminalize marijuana across the board. Well, and, you know, weed originally, the war on on drugs, you know, started right in the 1900s. But originally, hemp and and mar the marijuana plant 
was outlawed in Jamestown, right? Like the first colony in America because hemp was taking over the paper production. Yeah. So it wasn't even about anyone smoking it or anything. It was because it was fucking up white men's money. Yeah. That's what it's always about, you know? And so tribal seeds gets really, really deep into the oppression and the stigma around weed and, and in, in relation and correlation to, to Rastafari and the beliefs. Um, but they also do, you know, it's also a lot. And I like that they are white Rastas who are perpetuating his message. You know, they're continuing his message. And I think that that's really important because, you know, they're the people who are like, hey, wait, they're white Rastas and they are, they're still pushing the back to Africa agenda, you know, because the only requirement in regards to African or being black in Rastafari, and this is written, has been written, is that you have a deep appreciation and reverence for the African people. And I do, and I do, you know, mm. I mean, yeah. I could really into that i mean for gonna be honest it's quite silly the whole racism thing because physiologically they are the superior race but like that's a whole other conversation because <laughs> you know? we were the ones sitting on our asses fucking twiddling our thumbs and yeah. you had i mean they were hunter and gatherers far after we were and, and you know, so that's a whole evolution thing but you know so it was just so goofy because like i didn't want to feel so big and strong when in reality you're genetically weak yeah. you know no white people but, suck uh, dude we suck <laughs> We fucking suck, dude. No, you're right. I I want to ask you a Patreon question. Let me get this one little fact out. So uh, the song was frequently performed by Marley at concerts. Uh, You said Get Up, Stand Up, Adam was the last song Bob Marley ever performed. Last song he ever performed live and then died of cancer a few months later. Yeah, that that sucks. Uh, This is, I think. Mick Jagger says this is his favorite reggae song uh, of, of all time. So... My question, well, this is a Patreon question from Toby McMillan. If if this song is about standing up for yourself, uh, how have you stood up for yourself in your career? Oh, God, you guys just keep making me tear up. I don't know, mama, period. Maybe that's why. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Could be a mixture of things, but no, I mean, I, I definitely- Bob do does it. that. Nah, Bob, look, look, this is this is a heavy record. In this is a heavy record. This is like, well, and, and you're very passionate and, and I, you're the perfect guest for this, so- I, well, I, I was honored to be asked. And I was also excited to meet you because your comments, I'm like, God, dude. <laughs> dude, you <laughs> leave those comments, right? Yeah, dude, like, nice rule. Nice rug. I don't know, weird shit. But anyway, so, and also- uh, It's, it's easier, it's, 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 nicer for, it's nicer for me to say that than like, God damn, dude, your butt cheeks look fire oh, right no, I'm now, so dude. Sick that shit, man. No, I, that's why I, yours always stand out. I don't remember anyone else's, but I'm like, that is funny. Who the fuck is he? I don't fucking know. He's verified. Cool, you know, whatever. It's that but, blue uh, check mark, baby. That blue check mark gets me, hey. <laughs> gets me a bunch of shit. Yeah, it really does though. I'm working on it. You will, you will. It's coming. Oh, um, yeah eventually um how have i said i well i mean and i I don't say this from like an egotistical place because i know that things can come off that way and i don't i really don't mean it like that but i do feel like i have changed the game before me there was one actress industry there's one actress in the industry with locks kira noir she's i think she's african-american um I think I don't, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I could be wrong, but I think she's um, bi, she, I think she's biracial. Oh, okay. I, th- I think she, so. I, I know you're talking about fan of her work yeah. too. Yeah. And so she's the only other performer with locks and, you know, so not only I came in with locked hair, 
I came in with tattoos all over my body. Mm -hmm. I came in with no surgical work done. And they, and also a lesbian, right? And an out and proud lesbian. And they were like, yeah, good luck. Like when I first signed on with my agency, companies were like, y'all, you've lost your mind. Like, nice try. Good luck. We'll, you know, I mean, literally just turned me down. But the first video I shot went viral within seven days. And then all of a sudden there's all these callbacks, you know, and very quickly I climbed to the top. You know, I have stayed within the top 200 on Pornhub for the entire three years of my career. Wow. And I have not in the last two years, like since COVID, I've maybe shot 10 scenes and I'm still number 161 today. And last month I was number 43. So, you know, I think I saw there was a market. There was a market for real women. And, you know, I'm not saying these women aren't real, but I think women with like a more natural lifestyle and aesthetic. And I couldn't find that. I didn't see that anywhere. And so I came into this and I told myself that I'm only doing this if I can stay 1000% true to myself, Mm. regardless of what my agent recommended, you know, regardless of what producers told me, I didn't care, you know, and it worked. And so now I know other performers that are, you know, white or white presenting with dreads. And it's so fucking cool because before that, that was not there. You know, and so, and I don't want to take full claim, you know, I don't know what else happened in the world, but I know that there has been, you know, a small shift amongst some communities in the industry where women are feeling, and I think also it's me and other women in the industry too, that have done this, you know, it's it's like a collective thing that like, you know, divine timing, but it's like totally okay now for these hippies to be making porn and to be content creators. Like I follow so many on Twitter now that I've started in the last year or two that are literally people just like me out in the fucking woods making porn. And I'm like, fucking right, dude, fucking right. And men, from my experience, want to see a real woman, somebody that they can actually see themselves with, Yeah, you know? And that was really, I mean, it's just, uh, it's something that is missing in the, and now look, I fucking love BBLs. I think these bitches are fine as fuck. <laughs> I think they look incredible. If I wasn't such a pussy, you know, maybe I'd, I'd get a BBL, maybe. But, and I love women of all fucking kinds, okay? So like, there is no judgment about any surgical enhancements to people's bodies. Do what you gotta but do. I do think that there is, yeah, well, and also just my body too. You know, I have fucking big tits and gravity does what I haven't worn a bra since I was 13 years old. I have free the nipple tatted under my boot. Like it is a, I mean, you know, so I knew that I wasn't looking like everyone else. You know, I didn't have these big fake tits. I don't have perfect skin. My hair is always frizzy because I have thread. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't wear makeup. I don't even know how to do my own makeup. So I don't have this glam that everyone else had. And I think that it, it brought something really raw and authentic to my content um, that, you know, it's just kind of hard to find at some other places. And I think another big thing too, is that my Instagram is my personal life and I've never changed that. So you literally get every part of me. Mm-hmm. You get 
me on Instagram, my at-home day-to-day life. You get sex me on Twitter. You get OnlyFans, which is my personal sex life mixed with professional. I mean, you literally get all the above. You see every part of me. And I think that people really respond really well to that because they they feel like they have this like very personal connection with me. And to an extent they do, you know, my fans, I will say are some fucking loyal motherfuckers and they know so much shit about me. Like it's shocking. It is shocking. Like when I, you know, have had life changes and stuff that I would assume no one would notice like, oh no, these fuckers know. And they're going to post about it. You know, I mean, like it's... Um, it's insane. It is. It is. Insane. It is. It's and, insane. You know, and especially like, when you put yourself out, when you put yourself out there the way that you're putting yourself out there, not just in what your job is, but you're being that open about, you know, who you are in your personal life. I mean, well, those are the be- so much about being gay and doing porn. I'm sorry. And I'm going to straight up say it. I've never heard a porn star straight up say we are actors. I am not turned on in a scene. And I fucking said that in Inked Magazine for everyone to read, you know? I mean, because I'm tired of this narrative. I am so fucking sick of everybody pretending like porn is anything other than a movie, you know? Because that is what it is. And it is damaging people's, it's damaging young girls and young men's psyches. Sure. They know that this is acting and that that is all it is. It is not sex education. It is not an accurate representation of what sex should or will ever be. Yeah. It's not always accurate representations of bodies or of positions or of reactions, noises, or of your bodily fluid functions. Like this stuff is acting. And yeah. I think that is when porn damages society is when we try to pretend that it's not. Yeah. And so I've been really open about that been very open about the fact that I am gay. I'm not going to pretend that I am not gay to make people like me. I am gay, you know, and if you love me and you love my work, you're going to support me regardless. And that has worked. And I've also been um, very open and loud about the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, I sold nudes to raise money for George Floyd and I raised $5,000 and, you know, I try to do whatever I can, you know, and I I genuinely do. Um, And even sometimes on Twitter, I just like, I mean, I had a fan reach out who wanted his family to be able to come to see him graduate military, uh, graduate national guard. And, you know, he said he was embarrassed to post his GoFundMe. So I just, I paid the whole thing, you know, I mean, I posted on Twitter a few weeks ago, like, Hey, anybody who has, um, an active GoFundMe or, or is in need or whatever, whatever, um, posted under here. I want to help some people out. And I was specifically hoping to help POC. So I picked, you know, a few people and actually it was funny because the majority of them were women. And I, you know, one girl, her grandma was really sick in Puerto Rico, paid for her plane ticket. Another woman, her and her husband were living in a hotel, had been fired from their jobs due to racial bias. And so I paid for their hotel for a week, you know? I mean, I do whatever I can. And I think that that that's where the difference. Yeah. Where the difference is. No, I love you know? it. Cause I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm still a real person. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am the sexual being all the time. And that's all I am because that's not it. I'm yeah. real. No, 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 no. Don't, don't change. 
Do not change. Um, all right. We got time. Let's do one more track we could do. What do you want to do? You pick. Do you want to do I Shot the Sheriff, Burning and Looting, or Small Axe? Because I feel like we, listen, I got to mention, just because there's somebody out there, I got to mention I Shot the Sheriff because this is arguably one of the biggest reggae songs of all time. It's also, from my understanding, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the song that brought reggae to the masses, right? Why? Mm -hmm. Because of, of of Sir Crazy Eric Clapton. Mm -hmm. Eric Clapton recorded a cover version of this that was included on his 1974 record 461 Ocean Boulevard. That's got uh, Mainline Florida on it. That shit rips. It peaked at number one on Billboard Hot 100, his only U.S. number one date to date. In 2003, Clapton's version was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. The cover also exposed Marley to the rock and roll audience. Any other facts about this song that are worth saying? No, not really. No. Yeah, yeah fuck that dude. <laughs> fuck the rest of the fuck the rest of those facts. All right, let's do let's do Small Axe because In said this is one of her favorite songs. Uh so Small Axe, this is Start Aside 2 in the period when the song was written, virtually all the power in the Jamaican music industry was in the hands of Coxon Dodd and Duke Reed, who represent the big tree that musicians would have to cooperate to cut down. Dodd was a former producer for the Whalers, who the band developed a dissatisfaction for and eventually ended their relationship with Coxon after he withheld money from the band. This is crazy. Often paying them only three pounds a week, which is $6. In America, <laughs> that's fucking nothing. Uh, even after multiple number one singles in Jamaica, Coxon would later help uh, form a new record label, Big Tree Records, hence the reference in the song. Uh, this song has been covered by several artists, including Buju Bantan, Andrew Tosh, UB40, Trey Anastasio's Pep's Person, and made a, a Pep's Person made a Swedish version called, I can't even say that. Say Night it, Adam. Hog. Is that real? Leiden Sag, which means little saw. Hey man, I, I don't know if if I should feel triggered being a Jew, but that 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 it just that, that felt very very Heimlich Himmler of you to say it like that, dude. I have a little German in my history. <laughs> okay, yeah, I feel it. Um, why do you love Small Axe? Because you mentioned this one earlier. So you know, I heard your like their explanation, or I guess online or from whatever source, and I'm sure that that is you know something. But I I'm not convinced that that's like all of it. Um, you know, I think that the song has much deeper meaning. I do think it is an ode to slavery. Yeah. Um, same as African Herbs Man. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that one. It's like mm -hmm. super low key. Like I don't even know if it's ever. I think it maybe is on a record, but it's like real low key. But that is definitely also an ode to slavery. Um, but I think that, you know, I'm sure this applies to that, the people who ran the industry and, you know, whatever. But I think that this applies to society as a whole. You know, this goes hand in hand with Get Up, Stand Up. I mean, it is another song about, hey, we're coming together as a collective to end this and to stand up for ourselves, you know? And um, yeah, and you, I, I mean, I just think. I think there's it. more to it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Let's, let's talk about ripping off, because this is our Patreon question from uh, JJ Stonebottom. He's got another one. I love JJ. He rules off his last name. Um, how, this song is about being ripped off. Have you ever been ripped off? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, kindness taken for weakness, for yeah. sure. I think I do feel um, 
like I owe the world something because I am so grateful and blessed to have ended up where I am. And yeah. so I do, a lot of times I do feel like I owe the world. And so a lot of times I'm not as firm or communicative about things, especially when it comes to money, um, you know, especially with artists, right? So videographers, painters, jewelry, create, wh whoever I'm, I'm yeah. paying. When they tell me a price, you know, I believe that artists are asking for what they think they are worth. And so I typically do not question or argue with that, but I have learned the hard way that I have to question that because people think, well, my net worth is public. I mean, also you could just get a calculator, do the math, you know, I mean, all of that information is public. Yeah. Um, and I think that people are like, well, she's, she's a famous porn star. Like, yeah, we're gonna, so we're gonna give her this price, you know, because she's got the money, so let's get it, you know? And, and yeah, and that's my own, you know, being naive. Um, and I have learned the hard way. I have lost a lot of money to people in situations like that. Um, but no blame on them. The blame is fully on myself. I am yeah. an intelligent woman and I typically am knowing what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I'm like, fuck, I'm just going to pay him. Fuck it. Yeah. You know? And say, so, yeah, I mean, I've been ripped yeah, for sure. been ripped off. Um, you know, not so much by anyone in the industry, definitely more so by friends and people close to me. I think Baton Rouge is such a you know, eye for an eye, like you either kill or get killed, you know, it's very survival. Like there is just an, like an essence of survival in this city, um, which, you know, is sad. I did see this morning that we're, you know, number six on the top 60 deadliest countries this year in 2022. Yeah. Our next city over New Orleans is number seven. Oh, wow. And, you know, it, it is a war zone. I mean, it is, this is the trenches. Like uh, it, it's rough. And so, and I know that I even come from a place of survival, um, specifically being in the strip club. Um, that was a time of, of survival for me, for sure. And so I think it's, it's hard because I do feel like I've been blessed so much. And so when other people don't have what I have and are asking or, or taking advantage of me, it's hard for me to find like the coldness in me to be like, no, no. Yeah. I'm like, well, they don't have what I have, but I do have it. And it wouldn't hurt me to, to give them this $3,000. Yeah. You know, it's not going to affect my finances, but I've had to learn that just because I have money that I have literally sold my body for doesn't mean that I have to give it to people. You know, I no. don't owe people anything. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's like, generational Caucasian, uh, you know, reparations yeah. to be made. But other than that, I don't owe people anything just because I, I have a hard time with guilt, you know, like, well, I'm successful because I grew, I grew up somewhere where I watched people fucking struggle, you know, yeah. the people close, like in myself. So it's hard when you, when you finally do make it, you finally do have it. Then you feel like you need to like give it to everybody else, you know, to try to help. And, you know, I've been so blessed just so we want to share the wealth, but if I keep doing that, I will end up 
eventually broke harming my own situation exactly right. yeah I'm, you you could be be good but and be and to, you know there's there's like uh there's this girl that i went to high school with that i barely know i haven't talked to her in years and she knows how well i'm doing and she's i guess she's recovering or from drug addiction or whatever and she keeps sending me these messages on facebook it's like hey i just need 20 dollars to get to here and i'm like all right well I'll, I'll venmo you 20 and then she keeps doing it and i was last one i was like babe I was like, I can't, you can't, you got to figure something out. I'm not keep going to keep sending you money, even though it's $20, it's not affecting me. It's like, I just, I. But it's not your place. Yeah. I've it's not my place. Yeah. Really close relationship. I've lost really important people in my life because of that. And, you know, it makes me very sad. But at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that if that is part of the reason why they are no longer in my life, then they are not supposed to be in my life. So you know? I want to, so I want to ask you this last question before we go into the final, the final questions is, do you avoid Los Angeles and like the bigger cities or like, like how do you make that work living in Baton Rouge and working in an industry that primarily shoots in like Chatsworth? Um, so in the first two years, obviously I had to earn my keep, you know, I needed to like build this life for myself and I was going to LA all the time. So you were just um, going back and forth. You were, you were still yeah. living in Baton Rouge, but you were working in LA. Whole time. I've never moved. I've oh. never left. Yeah. Yeah. So, but also before porn, when I was, when I was dancing, so I had traveled from the age of 18 until COVID. So like there were, you know, other than maybe the first year of dancing, like I hadn't even, I would not spend like 30 days in this city. You know, I was gone all the time, whether it was for fun, whether it was just dance somewhere, whatever. And so then porn started and it got carried on. But this time it was literally coast to coast. I was going from LA to Miami, to Vegas, to Baton Rouge, to Vegas, to Miami. You know, I was literally, it was insane. It was fucking insane. And then when COVID hit, I was forced to like sit the fuck down. Yeah. And then I realized like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I am so exhausted. And I hate Los Angeles. I fucking hate that place. I hate that place. It has the worst fucking vibes in this country. <laughs> I know, for, for a town that's all around like the vibes, man. It's just like, it's about like the, the, the ocean's negative ions. It clears negativity. You're like, well, you guys all suck. Yeah, well, the small brings it back, okay? Yeah, it does. That was fucking wrecked. Like, I, and I think it was, it was very earth shattering for me because growing up, I always thought that like Cali was the liberal promised land. And then I got there and people still thought I was weird. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm just weird everywhere. Got it. Cool. So I'm going to enjoy where I'm at, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because I spent the first 18 years of my life waiting for the fucking day I could get the fuck out of this town. I didn't even want to tell people I was from here. Like, yeah. because I, was, I think I was very embarrassed about the racism that we, you know, the white people, not all of them, but a lot of them down here that we do have. It's fucking embarrassing. It is embarrassing that you ride around with Confederate flags on the back of your fucking truck and you're 15 years old. You know, that is fucking embarrassing. And and so that's, I was, that's, I was that's, that's generational though. And you know, it's not these kids, their parents teaching them that and their grandparents teaching them that. Like I, I, if I, if you meet somebody, yeah, you know it. Cause you're not everybody gets it. Not everybody is like, you know, they're so closed off because like you said, there are people that grew up in Baton Rouge and this is where they live. They don't know anything outside. And then they see the, you know, they see like the people in the entertainment industry like smacking another one at the Oscars and they're like, yeah, fuck those people. That's why we're never going to leave our little nook. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, you know, 
can you blame them? But I mean, at the same, you know, with the, it's all, it comes down to education. That's what I say. It comes down to education and, you know, and that's on them. And I try to just stay, I mean, there's, it's a very clear part of, you know, I don't go into those areas. Okay. Like yeah. I don't go there. They don't want me there. I don't want to be there. Don't give yeah. a fuck. Not really. Um, but so, you know, when I got to LA, I was very, I was like, okay, so that's not what I thought it was ever going to be, you know? And so, you know, towards the end of COVID, I bought this house in August. Well, not the end of COVID. It's still definitely here, but the end of quarantine. Um, yeah. And once I bought my house, like this was the goal for me, you know, well, I always have a goal, but this was a big one. I wanted to buy a house because I'd been in my apartment for years, you know, I lived in, and I posted this on my story earlier, um, you know, part of town that was close to where I went to high school. And it was, it's, my apartment was nice, but you know, it's Baton Rouge. I mean, yeah, people get shot, people get killed. Your shit gets robbed, your shit gets broken into. Yeah. This guy would walk past the window every day with a giant fucking AK on his back, like, and not in a country way. <laughs> and you'd be, like, you'd be like, hey, Frank, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> literally, no, literally, like, like, because he knew if he left it in his apartment, it would get stolen. But if he left it in his car, it'd get stolen. So he had to transport it. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so yeah, I mean, buying my house was a big thing. And I'm such a homesteader. I want to be able to grow my own. So I needed this property, right? So once I bought my house was when it really shifted. I was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to travel like that anymore. You know? And I also want to get my love for traveling back. Cause it fucked that up for me, you know, because I was gone so much for work when I was home. I didn't want to go on a vacation. I wanted to be home, you yeah. know? So now I have actually started production here. I am producing my own porn. I mean, I'm producing my own porn. And so I'm <laughs> flying performers down here and we are shooting here. Good for and you. It has, it has been awesome. I mean, Good it's really you. fucking cool. It's Good really for you. Right, and I got to ask this last question in because I'm going to regret it. I know somebody is going to, is going to regret it. Um, so what, what you, you talked about dancing. Cause I don't know if you know this, I was a strip club DJ for six years. Uh, so I, I've been, I worked for Spearman Rhino in Hollywood. I worked for dames and games. Oh dude. I was, the, I was the greatest strip club DJ girls. Girls would tell me, that because I was so funny because I would call I'd be like dude why don't you buy dances when you fucking gay get dances dude come on oh, man yeah. I had a, a DJ like that at my club that I stayed at for a long time and the DJ changes everything it really yeah. does girls would be like part. girls would be like I was giving a lap dance just crying laughing dude I'd be, oh, yeah. I'd be great I was great but that's besides the point that's besides the point what I wanted to ask you was how did you then make how did you so you're dancing and then how do you make the transition because obviously obviously like and and you're you are I'm glad that I did this because I, like you said, you peeled the layers back than just, you're just this entity that is, that is, you know, doing porn or, or whatever. There's, I knew there was more to you and that's why you're on this. Um, but how do you make that transition into, you know, how did you suddenly get into porn? So I love dancing. I will always love dancing. I love being on stage. I love being on the pole. I mean, it is just, it is a natural high that like cannot be replicated. Yeah. Um, and I've got a lot of drugs. So that's a big statement. <laughs> Um, but I think I was tired of the inconsistency. I was tired of having to survive, you know, because the club, yeah, you make big money, you do, but then there's 12 days that you don't, you know? And it was just when Trump was in office and stuff got different with the taxes, you know, tax return season down here is a really big thing. We've got yeah. plant workers, a lot of money, whatever. So the year that Trump made those changes, 
fucked our strip clubs bad down here um because tax season people didn't get back what they thought they were gonna get back yeah and so it was rough it was really fucking rough that year i mean i struggled a lot and i think i was just ready for something that was more consistent and also i just wanted to try it and i was dating my long-term girlfriend at the time and she was like absolutely not not happening well she left me so I knew a girl at the club that was in communication with an amateur company. They flew me to Arizona. I shot my first porno. I didn't think it would be out for about eight months. That's what they told me, but it was released literally seven days later. I was out <laughs> of the country on that rock island. I thought my parents would never know about this. I thought no one would ever know. I didn't even know if I wanted to do porn yet, but it went viral, literally 20 million views. And it was like on the front page of every platform. Um, and people were like, who the fuck is she? Where did this girl come from? Who is this? And at that moment, it was like the decision was made for me, which I'm very grateful for. You know, yeah. like I knew that it was what I needed to do. And that's it. That's like it. I mean, there's nothing else to it. Like that, that is how it happened. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. I love that you were, I love that you were probably, you were probably at an island, like, you know, wait, what was that? Oh, shit. That's oh, that no, went viral. Literally. 19 million views. <laughs> oh, Ja, thank you, Ja. Please, I love you, Ja. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. Dude, you're killing it. Okay. And and I mean this sincerely. Like you're I'm glad you came on today. You're you're a very interesting character and you're a beautiful soul. So keep doing what you're doing. So keep keep making your art and keep using your platform to like, you know, to show the real side of you. Because I think, like you said, you peel those up, you it's it's there's a human aspect far bigger to you than than a lot of the people that I've met that work in the industry. And I've met a lot of them and nothing against them. But it's like, yeah. do you keep doing what you want to do and keep doing this? And and I'm telling you, like, you'll you'll look back at this when you're 70 and 80 and be like, fuck, I did this shit right. You know, I hope you will. Plan. You will. That's all right. Last questions. I ask all the guests this uh, favorite song off this record. Duppy Conquer, Conquer, for sure. Yeah, no question. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go burning and looting, man. I just fucking love burning shit and looting. It rules. Fair <laughs> right. enough. I get it. Uh, least favorite song on this at record. And I know that's a loaded question, but what song, is there anything on this record that you skip over? Mm, no. Okay. No, just no. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't, I don't have a least favorite on this one. I don't think. Mm -mm. I do have some, but not on this. Okay. I, I, you know, what's funny is I didn't take the time to pull out the one that I like least favorite so we'll skip that all right this is a very i ask everybody this but this is probably true with you what song on this record would you fuck to <laughs> what do you fucking do but by the way what are you putting on anyway when you fuck it doesn't even have to be pick this record and then tell me what's your sex playlist but start with this record first what song you and your girl you guys are about to fucking scissor until until 9 30 in the morning what are you what are you putting on? It's a long night of scissoring. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long. Uh, he's... That's how it goes with lesbian sex. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Adam, how did you not know that? You're right. I was ignorant about Adam. that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, she's team uh, Josh now. No, there is no song from this album. I cannot even say You gotta that, pick but... one. You gotta pick one. Everybody picks one. You got it. What do you fucking do? I, I could see you, uh, I could see maybe if you're like, it's a shoot and you know, the guy hasn't taken his blue pill, maybe you'd be like, come on, man, get up, stand up, dude. 
Hurry hey, up. That could work. That could work. I, I think maybe that one then. Get up, stand up. I yeah, I, that one. I think, yeah, you know, fuck, what would I fuck to? You can fuck to this, right? You can fuck to Bob Marley for sure. It's a vibe. Some of it. Like, like um, turn your lights down low, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Like you can't really fuck to trench town rock. Then what is your what is your sex playlist then? What's your sex? What are you putting? What do you fucking do? That's probably gonna be more rap. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm not like a romantic kind of person. Like that's yeah, not my vibe. No. I'm not even talking about romantic. I mean, I I personally, I'm massive attack, Portis head, like trip hoppy, like almost so. The, so the British hip hop, very sexy. Like Port, you ever listen to Portis head? No, but I need I'm, to. I am going to, dude. It's. I, I would love to get your thoughts on it. It rules. Massive yeah. Attack rules. British people rule. Uh, it's very sexy music. Very emotional. Very feminine. Uh, and and very hip hoppy. I'll send you a couple things. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, no. Right, so I if think you more like I would do reggaeton, like like Hispanic um, hip hop. Temple, 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 temple. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like some masculine, like, and I'm not very, fem, I mean, I'm very feminine aesthetically, yeah. but definitely more of like dominant energy. So yeah, honestly, more of like rap stuff, like NBA Youngboy and Kevin Gates, like that oh. fucked up, like, I'm like, you know, just crazy <laughs> shit. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know? I love um, it. I'm a, I was a stripper, so like, and that's what I danced to. So you know, like, yeah, I can twerk and stuff. So I think stuff that goes with that. Okay, what are your two? What's your what's your dance set? What are your two songs? You got six minutes to be on stage. What are your two songs? Uh, well, when I was a dancer, it would when? have been uh, March Madness by Future, and then maybe hit it with Fuck Up Some Commas by Future. I love doing <laughs> like I would do sets of someone. So it'd be Future, be Migos, Young M.A. Pretty much bounce between them. I got out right after, right when Migos started blowing up. I got out, I think I got out before, I got out in 2006. My last time DJing was January oh, wow. 2000, not 2006, 2016, I'm sorry. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so I, I was there for when Future changed strip club music forever, because he created a genre that I call strip hop. Uh, it was it was songs made for throwing money. Me Migos, Migos had Versace out. I'm almost positive I missed Bad and Bougie. Okay, Maybe. Walk it, everyone in my my home strip club never wanted to hear that song again. Oh, it's terrible, I danced yeah. To it. So, <laughs> but it's so, I like stuff that I can get fucking hyped to. I dance hard, like, I fucking love dancing. And so I like shit that I can just be like, just go hard, like, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, dude, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I mean it no, sincerely. You, I'm glad we're homies now. Um, yeah, I've been wondering who this mystery man and one of the lesbians from the real L word follows you. And I was just like, huh, well, guess he's cool. You know, I don't know. Like that, that like was a vet in my opinion. And so you know, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe I'll have to check out some of your comedy stuff. You should. I'm very good at what I do. Just like you're very good at what you do. I'm very good at what I do. I like uh, to laugh. So. Good. And I think I'll be in New Orleans. I'm definitely going to be there for a wedding in October. But I, so I think we're going to try to, I'll try to set up some kind of shows. But also I do like festivals all over the country, music festivals. Like I'm, there's, awesome. it, it's great. But here, but this is your time. I want you to promote away, promote your OnlyFans, promote your YouTube, everything, please. 
well, you can pretty much type in Indica Flower on Google, but my Instagram is Indica Flower underscore. OnlyFans is just Indica Flower. YouTube, just Indica Flower. Twitter, Indica Flower XXX. And those sites have my beacons link. So if you're looking for anything else, it's got my merch site, it's got my Pornhub site, it's got all of the above. So you can just click the beacons link and everything you need is right there. There it is, dude. Guys, follow her, she rules, you really do. Thank you for coming on, darling. Oh, thank you for having me. I was super excited when you asked me about the album. I was like, yeah, I love Bob Marley. Why, what's up? <laughs> like, what do you I, know. I can talk a, about him all day. <laughs> what a random ask. Hey, listen, I know I've, I've talked about uh, how fine you are, but you want to talk about Peter Tosh with me <laughs> real quick? I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. I'll be there. <laughs> Dude, you rule. <laughs> What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Indica Flower. Follow her on Instagram as long as her Instagram account isn't canceled at Indica Flower underscore and go and see her on Twitter. It's a little bit more risque on the twit twit at Indica Flower XXX. Subscribe to her OnlyFans, guys. Watch her. Dude, you guys want to have a great 20, 30 minutes depending on how long it takes you to scoodle your doodle? Do it to Indica. She's and and after you talk to her, like she it makes her even more attractive. She's beautiful inside and out. Thank you again for doing this, babe. All right. For new music, we have the Cornerstones. They collaborated with Damian Marley, and you're listening to their song Liberation off their 2021 record, Dia. And you can find the links to the website, the500podcast.com. Uh send us your song. We want to play it. 500 podcast at gmail.com. Next week, OJ's. O.J. Simpsons as we go through backstabbers from 1972. Do your homework.
Jesus are coming, yeah, we're coming. Coming, yeah, we're coming, yes, we're coming. Africans are coming, yeah, we're coming. Hey, hey, see the politicians, them are trying to trick we. Them wanna keep the people suffer and the kids hungry. Read the culture with the book, take a chapter, have a look. Liberation is the truth, so matter, come and rise the youth. Better know when God will trust Searching on the road of peace Unification is the key East, West, North, South Here we go everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes we've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests including rock journalist warren zanes and stephen hyden backstreet's magazine founder charles cross and barstool's kirk menahan if you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! 
The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.